wonderful treat this morning. As you have been hearing these last several weeks, I've been mentioning that uh, we were going to have a surprise speaker today. It really won't be that much of a surprise because you will know who that is instantly. Some of you already do. But it was suggested to me several months ago by someone to uh, let Trace speak on Father's Day. And I just thought that was a wonderful idea at several levels. Uh, Number one, uh, it gives me a a break, and uh, I I enjoy that. I enjoy being able to listen and receive. Um, And I just thought it would be a really, really great idea. I know she speaks in other venues, other times in the life of the church, but, you know, because I'm the pastor, it pretty much is an expectation that I talk on Sunday morning. So, so uh, she doesn't have opportunity on Sunday like that, but I thought this would be a good chance for that to happen. Tracy and I have been in ministry together for 29 years. Um, what you may not know is that she was singing at church, at other churches, at denominational meetings, camp meetings, in traveling groups before she was even out of high school. In fact, she was voted the best singer at Seymour High School. Now, let me tell you something. That's a big deal in Seymour. She was invited to sing the national anthem more times at more events. And, and you know, thousands of people in Indiana is it basketball country. And thousands of people come to watch high school basketball. And she was the most invited national anthem singer there at Seymour. But seriously, she was called and testifies that God called her at the age of 12 to the ministry. Now, in our circles, when you were called to the ministry, that usually meant, and the only way we could interpret that to mean, was that you would be a pastor's wife. And she was certainly obedient and responsive to that. But, you know, God had larger plans than that. In our early days, we did revivals together. Oftentimes, she would sing, I would speak. I pastored, she was with me at 21 years of age, uh, she was a pastor's wife, I was 24, we've often said that should have been declared illegal somehow or another, that at 24 you could be a senior pastor, but we were that. But in recent years, she's come into her calling. Many of you do not know that she has spoke at ministers' conferences, at other local churches, she has, invita- she has more invitations right now at other local churches than I do, I don't know what to think about that, I She has spoken internationally in foreign nations. Uh, But because I'm the pastor, she doesn't get as much exposure, perhaps here at home. Well, today, you're going to have a treat and get to listen to my wife today. She is a fully vested partner in the ministry with me. Along with her wifely responsibilities and motherly responsibilities, she has prayed. She has labored. She has called people on the phone. She has counseled, she has visited, she has taught classes, she has shook hands, she has visited the hospitals, she's got up early, early in the a.m. hours for crises when our phone rang, she has painted church walls, she has cleaned toilets, she has sat in nurseries with babies, she has taught kids church, she has been a worship leader, she has led choirs. She's cooked the extra food that was needed at a pitch-in dinner. 
Many of you don't know that she has an associate's degree in biblical studies and she has a bachelor's degree in theology. She should have been given a master's degree for as many hours as she stood up and helped me study for tests to get through seminary. It is her signature as well that put all of our assets on the line when we secured this particular location. She has volunteered more hours than I can even count. Her children serve and love the Lord. I want to say to you this morning, because I don't oftentimes get a chance to say it, but she has earned the title of pastor. But probably she is most honored when we call her the mom of the house. It says in Proverbs 31 and 28, it says, according to the virtuous woman, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And so we're going to be obedient to the scriptures today. And I'd like you to give a legacy welcome as we do to the minister of the Lord that will come and speak to us today. Can you put your hands together for the mom of the house? Here she comes, Tracy Baird. that and I do the best thing that ever happens to me on a Sunday morning was I walk in and Noah and Kelly will come up to me and say hey mama that's the best thing well I wanted to say happy Father's Day to my husband I think am I too loud um honey you're the greatest and I was thinking about um just what I was going to say to him and I wish you guys could just have a video of what we act like at home because I'm telling you, we, <laughs> we have a really, really good time at home. And Kevin is a great dad to our kids, and uh, he's a great husband, and he's a great father to our puppy, Hugin Agape Baird. And um, so I just wanted to say Happy Father's Day to you. I also wanted to say Happy Father's Day to my daddy, who I know will be listening to this message this afternoon as soon as Dan Bearden puts it on iTunes. Uh, his name is James Maccabee in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And uh, as Pastor was saying that statistic this morning, uh, you know, there's no perfect parents in the world, but I'm telling you, my daddy had us in the doors of the church, and we were always there at least an hour early. Okay, always an hour early. I don't know why we were there an hour early, but we were. And so he always made sure of that, and so he was a great father. I also want to say happy Father's Day to my father-in-law, Neil Baird. He has been a great father-in-law for 27 years. You know, I mean, there just aren't many Neil Bairds in the world, and he's a really good guy. So, all right, this morning I'm going to start off by asking you guys a question. Have you ever been lied to? Raise your hand if you have ever been lied to. How does it make you feel when you discover that you've been lied to? Give me some answers. Ang angry, violated, betrayed, robbed, <laughs> disappointed sometimes. Well, it is a scientific fact that if you are lied to long enough, you will really begin to believe that is the truth. You know, that's the way cults work. 
They take these young people in off the street, you know, the Hare Krishnas, uh, whether it be that or Charles Manson. You know, you get these, these young people in and you begin to tell them that everything they know as truth is a lie. And then you begin to lie, put new lies into them and tell them that's the truth. And after a period of time, a little sleep deprivation as well, but after a, middle of, a matter of time, they begin to believe that lie as the truth. It also happens in things when we tell ourselves a lie. How many of you men, not trying to pick on you on Dad's Day, how many of you gone fishing and you, bought, and you caught a fish that was about that big, but when you got home, buddy, that fish was that big, and you have told that story now for 15 years, and buddy, that fish is that big in your mind. It is that big. And it's, it's truth to you now. Women do the same thing. We like to embellish a story a little bit just to kind of give it a little extra drama, a little pizzazz, you know, and so we're, we're acting it all out, and we say, and they said this to me, and we're acting it all out, and, and now as we tell it 10 years later, it is, that is exactly what happened. So that's what happens to us. Well, lately, just recently, I found out that I had been lied to for a long, long time. Can you believe that? For years, I had believed an absolute lie about myself. So now this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to adjust your ears a little bit. I am not Kevin Baird, all right? He is anointed teacher. I'm not necessarily a teacher, but you know what I am? I'm a really good storyteller. So I want you to sit back. I want you to listen. But I want you to ask right now for the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear what he's saying to you this morning. Because I really and honestly believe, and Pastor does too, that if you will listen to my story and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through it, your life's going to be changed as much as mine is being changed, even as I'm up here this morning. This last year has been the most revelational year of my spiritual life. I got saved when I was 8 years old. As Pastor said, I was called to the ministry at 12 years old. And uh, I'm now 46 years old, in case you want to know. I'm going to be 47 in August. Um, and so this year, though, has been the most revelational year. And, and you say, why is that? It's as if all the puzzle pieces of my life are coming together. And I am beginning to see what I have been put on this earth to do. I mean, I'm not just seeing why I'm here at Legacy. I'm not just seeing why I'm here in Charleston. I am seeing my purpose. And you all know that Jeremiah 29 11 has been my favorite verse and I quote it all the time. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I have quoted that, but for all these years I have quoted that verse in believing for that to happen. Believing that one day I would see the plans and the purposes that God has for me. Guys, you have that verse up there? Believing that I would see it. But the fact of the matter is, I was still waiting for it. Well, now, all of a sudden, all the pieces are coming together. I can't say that I see the whole puzzle. How many of you like to do puzzles? I love to do a puzzle. I mean, it's just, whew, that's like one of my favorite things ever. And, you know, at first, you just begin to kind of see what the picture is. I can't say I've got the whole big thing done, but there's a lot of it coming together, and it's really exciting. So let me start my story. At the beginning of this year, 2009, I went before the Lord in prayer, and I began to ask him, Lord, what do you want to, the vision for the women of power to be this year? The women of power is the women of ministry, uh, women's ministry here at Legacy Cathedral. 
So I began to ask him, and he said to me, just dropped in my spirit these words, being God's girl and loving it. And I said, okay, being God's girl, and he said, and Tracy, loving it. He said, I want you to study, and I want you to teach your women that they are not a mistake, that I have made them on purpose, exactly as they are. I've given them their personalities, their temperaments, their body shape, their giftings. Everything about them is on purpose, and that that is my plan, and that they can love themselves. And so even as the beginning of the year started, the Lord was already starting to form this revelation in me. And so I shared that with you, you all in the months of February, and then we did it again in April. And actually now, as Pastor said, I'm being asked to go to other churches and, and teach this, uh, this teaching about being God's girl and loving it. And it's really something to hold on to. So all that was happening at the beginning of the year. Well, then in the end of April, I was asked by invitation to go to a mini pastor's wives retreat in Pensacola, Florida. Only seven pastor's wives were invited, and I was one of them. Now, I was a little bit anxious about going because I didn't know the pastor's wives. I knew one. I knew Pastor Van's wife, Jan Decody, was going to be there. I had met a few of the other ones just like, hey, I'm Tracy Baird at a conference, but I didn't know them. And so I went to Pensacola, and uh, we sat down the very first night, and Pastor Jan was kind of the uh, facilitator. And she said, I want you to, we're just going to get to know each other a little bit. We're going to start having a little interaction. So I want each of you to take 15 minutes, and I want you to tell about yourself, and I want you to answer some of these questions. Where did you grow up? When did you become a Christian? How did you become a pastor's wife? And how has that journey been for you as a pastor's wife? Now, I was the fifth out of seven to talk, and they started on this end, and we came around. And as they were, as I was listening to their stories, and they were they were divulging some some inner inner things, and they were being pretty honest. But I remember thinking to myself, "Don't talk too much, and don't get into any gory details about ministry. Just let's just keep it real light here. Just keep it real light." So I purposely was thinking that. So I thought I got through that. Went to bed that night thinking. Ooh, got through that one. That was pretty good. Okay. So get up the next morning. We're sitting around having coffee. And we're talking about all of our women's issues and having to go to the doctor. Okay. And I'm saying, oh, you know what? I went to the doctor the other day. And my doctor wasn't there. He was sick. And I had to see this other doctor, which one of the nurses that worked there had told me that he was an atheist. So I'm Walking in thinking, okay, he's an atheist, okay. So I sit down, and he examines me, and then out of the clear blue, he says, so now what do you do for a living? And I said, well, my husband and I pastor a church. And at that point, he said, well, I just want to tell you that you're the biggest hypocrite I've ever met. Now, that's a whole story in itself that I can't go into right now. You'll have to get the details later. But as I told that that morning, sitting on the couch in Pensacola, Florida, all seven of those women stopped, looked at me, and went, no way. And I said, yeah, but really, it's, it, it's okay. And they said, what did you say? And so I'm like saying what I said. And, and, uh, and then Jan Decody, she put her coffee cup down. She leaned across to me, and she said, Tracy, I have a word from the Lord for you right this minute. Okay. She said, the Lord is showing me that there has been a very strategic planned assault against you and your life from a very early age. 
She said, the stuff you shared last night and then this thing this morning, it is as no one in this world gets this God-awful thing said to them like you do. And I was like, oh, oh, no, really, it's okay. It's okay. I was embarrassed. I thought, oh, here I have wanted to come down here, make some new friends, not be the center of attention, and now everybody's looking at me. And this is not what I wanted. And then the pastor's wife sitting next to me, Penny Tusi from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, looked at me and she grabbed my hand and she said, Tracy, the Lord is saying that Numbers 1333 is your verse. She opened up her Bible and she said this, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. She said, Tracy, you don't think that you're worth very much. And you see every flaw in yourself. You expect to not be liked or accepted. And you expect to have to prove your worth to people. And Tracy, that's just a lie. And then this most precious little pastor's wife from Arab, Alabama. <laughs> Her name's Kelly Hodges. She's about, she's about the size of Kelly Mecklemer. She's this little tiny thing and she talks like this. And she got up and she started telling her story. And I mean, this little frail thing just got up and started preaching. And she started telling me about her life was so similar to my life and how all the things that had happened to her and how that she married her husband, not even knowing they were going to go in the ministry. And then here she ends up being a pastor's wife and she felt so bad about herself and that she had actually attempted, attempted to commit suicide 10 times, even six times since she'd been a pastor's wife because she did not believe that she had any worth. So they began to tell me about a ministry that she had gone to called Restoring the Foundations and how that they, they unveiled to, uh, so many of the, of the lies of the enemy to you. And she said, Tracy, I am recognizing these things in you. So they sat down and they began to explain to me what they saw so clearly, how I had been lied to throughout my life. And because I believed the lies, now y'all listen to this very clearly, if I believed the lies, I saw myself as a grasshopper. Small, insignificant, without much worth or value. And because I believed that about myself, I was seen that way by other people, just like the children of Israel. They weren't grasshoppers. You understand that when the spies went into the land, they, they were just regular men. But they saw themselves as grasshoppers and they thought that about themselves, which in turn was how they were seen by the giants, that they were weak and they were defeatable. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. They explained to me that what I was dealing with is called ungodly beliefs I immediately thought no way are you kidding me I have been and taught 22 encounters are you kidding me I am still this messed up this is unbelievable and I want to tell you that was the voice of the enemy and that was like throughout this whole story the enemy's on this side and the Holy Spirit's on this side so the enemy says oh my gosh you are still so messed up can you believe that well the devil's a liar 
And immediately the Holy Spirit on this side said to me, no, Tracy. And as these ladies were even talking to me, has this ever happened to you? It's like the Lord gives you a vision. And people are talking, but it's like you're seeing something else. And I'm hearing what they're saying, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit's showing me something. I saw a picture of myself standing there. I saw chains around my neck, three chains on my arms, chains around my waist, chains on my legs. And I am shackled. I am bound. And then the Holy Spirit said, watch this. And one by one, the chains began to, to drop off. He said, first, the first chains that fell off, Tracy, are the chains that others had attached to you through your life. Generational curses, word curses, traumas, disappointments. And he said, now watch this. And the other chains began to break off. And he said, those are the chains that have been removed from you. Those were the sins, the chains that you had attached to yourself through sin, through ignorance, through intervals and judgments that I had made, through unforgiveness that I had walked in, through open doors that I had... I had honestly opened to the enemy and willful sin. And he said, you see, and they all fell off. And then his voice was so clear. As I'm sitting here in this living room, this is all happening. His voice was so clear and he said, I have broken these chains from your life from these last 22 encounters. This has not been wasted time. The good news, Tracy, is that you're no longer bound. Now it's time for you to be healed and renewed from the inside out. Isn't that awesome? It's like that story that we tell an encounter about how your life is like an onion. Remember? And we say the Holy Spirit begins to peel back the parts of your life. Through 22 encounters, he's done a lot of peeling. And then all of a sudden he said, Tracy, you're down to the core. Isn't that great? That's good news. Now, let me tell you, at first... I was a little overwhelming because the enemy's a liar. But then, even as I'm sitting there, the Lord begins to bring confirmation. He reminds me that Pastor Rod Aguilar prophesied over me in Alabama in January of 2008. He laid hands on me and said, Tracy, you will heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. Then immediately I was brought to remembrance the word that the, prophetic, the, the prophet from Florida gave standing right up here. Standing right up here in, uh, at the Roar Out of Zion conference. About four years ago, he said that legacy would be a center of deliverance, that our deliverance ministry would increase exponentially, and that psychiatrists and psychologists in this city would send their people to us because they did not know what to do for them, and they'd say, but you can get them set free. And you know what? God, that is also true, and all that was coming back to me, but you know what? You can't do that if you're not whole yourself. You can't give somebody what you don't have. Ladies, what we just studied in our Bible study this week, you cannot give what you don't have. So they began to minister to me. They began asking questions, deep questions, nosy questions about my life, questions about how I view myself outwardly and inwardly, what I think about my talents, my gifts, my looks, my intelligence? What about when I make a mistake? And God forbid, what if I sin? What do I think about that? Well, y'all, as transparent as I am, I'm telling you, these girls were all up in my stuff, okay? And it was a little bit uncomfortable. And I remember the enemy on this side saying to me, are you really going to tell them all that stuff? Are you kidding me? They don't even know you very well. They're going to think you're a nut. 
and they're, and they're really not going to think you're a very good pastor's wife if you tell them all of that. And just that quick, the Spirit of the Lord is on this side saying, Tracy, do you want to be free and walk in all your purpose? Or are you going to protect your ego? Which way is it going to be? Because it can't be both. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... How many times have we read this and thought it said, and humble themselves and pray? It doesn't say that. It says, humble themselves, comma, and pray. That means humbling yourself is a whole separate little thing over here. So I had to humble myself and pray and turn from your wicked ways. Then you will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let me tell you what the biblical definition of the word wicked is. It's wrong, godless, guilty, condemned. That means that if you or I have any thoughts or beliefs that are not what God thinks, then they're wicked. Because that would make it a godless thought, right? So that would make it wicked. It's as plain as that. What happens is we read this verse and we think, I don't have any wicked ways. Because this is what we think wicked is. Murder, adultery... Uh, robbing a bank. Now, what if, what if somebody walked up to you, pastor, they walked up to you and they said, you tell you what, I just think that everybody in their lifetime should rob a bank. I think that all of us should goal to commit murder and for definitely don't miss out on some adultery because that's like the real stuff that you want to be a part of. We would all say, you're crazy. That is just wicked. But what if they said to you, oh, no, no, you still understand. I have been told this from just when I was just knee-high to a grasshopper. I've been told that you want to commit, uh, commit murder, you want to rob a bank, and you want to commit adultery. Those are the things that I've been told all my life. So if I've been told that all my life, it must be right. We would still say, no, that's wicked. But see, we don't see that in ourselves. We don't see the wickedness in us because we tolerate it. And the reason we tolerate it is because we have been lied to from the very beginning. So this morning, we're going to take a few minutes to help you recognize these ungodly beliefs. Now, what happened? I came home from Pensacola, and at first I thought, Pastor is going to think I've lost my mind. Okay? And so a couple, I, I really didn't tell him at first. I kept, but, but you know me, I can't keep a secret. So it only took me a couple hours, and I like, bleh. And so I told him all of it, and I thought... What's he going to say? And he said, Tracy, I think that's so revelational. And he said, you know, women are so good at being introspective. He said, you know, you get down there and, and they say that stuff to you and you get it. He said, but this is something that men just don't get. Some women don't get, but he said most men don't get because they don't want to look inside themselves. And this was actually even confirmed through a couple of uh, conversations that I had this week just asking some men about themselves. They don't like to look inside. So on Father's Day, I want to help you guys. Please don't take this that you're getting in trouble. This is God wanting to set you free. God wanting you to help, to help you be all that you can be. Okay, so let's start with what is an ungodly belief. An ungodly belief is anything that disagrees with God, his word, his nature, or his character. And a godly belief is anything that agrees with his word, his nature, or his character. 
Okay, it's pretty simple. But an ungodly belief are by definition unbelief. A wicked way. Ungodly beliefs are dangerous and destructive. Now listen why. Because they affect all of our perceptions, all of our decisions, and all of our actions. If you believe a lie, please get a hold of this. If you believe a lie, how you perceive life is wrong. Because you perceive it through a lie. I'm going to get into some specifics here in just a second. But then, because of that, everything about you, how you act, is now wrong because you've perceived it from the very beginning. Somebody says something to you, and because you have this lie, whoo, defense walls go up. And then, everything about you, how you're acting, how you're responding, all of those things are now affected because of an ungodly belief. Romans 12.2, I asked them to put this up here says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will is. You, think, you see, if you don't have the right way to think, then you're not going to believe that God's will is good, and that it's pleasing, and that it's perfect. Do, are we getting, are you beginning to get a hold of this? Okay. So our very belief system has got to be, has got to be touched because the major areas of our belief system are usually made up of ungodly beliefs. Did you hear that? The major area of our belief system is usually made up by ungodly beliefs. What we believe determines our decisions, our attitudes, our agreements, our judgments, expectations, vows, and oaths. How many of you remember when we studied The Amazing Brain with Dr. Carolyn Leaf? Remember that South African lady that <laughs> talked really fast? The men listened to it, too, and it was really amazing. Do you remember? I can't go into all of it, but she's a neurologist. And how she talked about that when, I, can't, uh, I think it was when she did CAT scans. I think if that was right, Wally or, or, um, or Randy. But she did, they did CAT scans, and they would look at your brain, and a memory looked like a tree. Remember? And if it was a good memory, it would be like a green, lushy tree. And if it was a bad memory, it looked like a thorn bush. And you could actually see the thorns on the branches of the tree. And she said that when you have these memories and then life just happens. Just life happens. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Life happens. That thought goes into your brain, and if it lands on... The last time somebody cut me off in traffic, I was able to witness them and went to Jesus. <laughs> then you have a positive memory. But if that comes in and it hits on a, you know what? People are always taking advantage of me. And bless God, I'm just not going to let them get by with this. That's how road rage happens, folks. Because when life happens, a thought goes in and it hits on a memory of a lie. And then it, she said how that your brain then actually sends out a chemical called a negative expectation chemical. That chemical courses through your veins. It affects your body language. It affects your facial expressions. It affects everything about you. And then you begin to respond and look a certain way because of a next negative expectation chemical. Now, what are ungodly beliefs and how did, how did they form in us? Well, an ungodly belief originate from two different sources. 
The first one is the natural or unredeemed mind of mankind. Now, remember, we're all not born good and life messes us up, right? We're born in sin. We're born in sin, and so we are already born with ungodly beliefs. We're not born with godly godly Holy Spirit thoughts. We're born with ungodly beliefs. And because of this, uh, it begins to affect everything about us. Well, then the second thing that I want to talk about and mostly focus in on today is experiences and hurts. That's how other ungodly beliefs are formed. Beliefs are formed through hurts, traumas, negative experiences, and words people say to us. Ungodly beliefs are formed through negative experiences, which then begin to put us on what is called a cycle of death. All right, I want you to take a look at this. A cycle of death. You have an experience which turns into a belief, which turns into an expectation, then a behavior, and then it circles back to an experience. Now, let me give you a few examples of what this looks like. Back when my mom and dad, who are in their 70s, were in elementary school. Now, I know they don't do this today in elementary school, but back when my mom and dad were in school, if you would go up to the board to try to do a math problem, and let's say you didn't do it very well, you messed up, or you failed on a test, there was actually a stool in the corner of the room. And the teacher would set you on it, and she would put what's called a dunce hat on you. You guys ever heard of that? It's a pointy hat? Okay. And basically, what that is is, the teacher's going to have everybody make fun of you now, sit you in front of everybody so everybody can call you dummy, thinking that if we embarrass you enough, you'll stop doing bad on your math test. I don't think that's the way that works. But that's what, that, what sometimes happened. So on that day, there was an experience. What do you think the belief of that little boy was that day when he left school was? I'm a dummy. I'm stupid. Right. So then he begins to expect, you know what, I just can't do math. I'm just an idiot. No matter what I try, I'm not going to do it. And then I'm going to sit back on that chair. And so every morning, I had a teacher in second grade named Mrs. Sh Miss Schweer. I've had to take her to the cross several times. <laughs> she had to be the meanest woman on the face of the earth, okay? Miss Schweer. And every morning, seriously, in second grade, I was on Valium. Valium to get to go to school in the second grade because I had an expectation that no matter what you do, it's not going to be right. No matter what I say, it's not going to be right. No matter how I act, if I keep my mouth shut, I'm in trouble. If I talk, I'm in trouble. No matter what I do, I'm going to be in trouble. So this little boy thinks I'm stupid. So he has an expectation, I'm going to get in trouble. Then what happens when he gets to school? He, he thinks, I'm not going to study for this test. And while they're studying, he's over here acting up because he's thinking, I'm getting it anyway, so I might as well be doing something else. So he's getting in trouble, which then in turn gets him in trouble, which gets him back on the dunce chair. We see that so clearly. Let me bring it down a little bit farther. You're a man or a woman, but we're going to help the daddies today. You're a man, and you have been working at the plant for 15 years, and you have been faithful, and you have done a good job. And everybody likes you. You're just doing great. Well, your supervisor comes up to you one day, and he says, Hey, Jim, see Bob up here, supervisor. He's going to be, be retiring here in about six months, 
and buddy, your name's up for the job. You've been doing a great job, so just get ready. That job's going to be yours. So for six months, Jim begins to plan and to think, wow, I'm going to get a raise. My life's going to be so different. I'm going to get off this assembly line. I'm going to get into management. This is going to be awesome. And he begins to plan and he begins to dream and he begins to think about the vacation he's going to take his family on. And he begins to, to just really dream big. about. Maybe we're going to get a boat. Who knows? I mean, this is just going to change our lives. And then Bob retires. And not only do you not get the job, but they don't even bring you in and have the audacity or the, or the, or the common decency to tell you that you're not getting the job. They bring somebody in from the outside and here this new guy's your boss when you were told all along that that job was going to be yours. How does that make you feel? Makes you feel disappointed. And you know what you might believe? Start to believe, you just, you can't trust, you can't trust management. You can't trust anybody around here. They lie to you. Man. So what, because you have an expectation, you go to work every day going, man, I am just, this is going to be terrible. They're just a bunch of liars. Just a bunch of liars. I'm just going to put my, I'm going to clock in. I'm going to clock out. I'm going to do my work. I ain't helping with nothing. They call it, ask me to do any overtime. Forget it. They can just forget it. I ain't helping nobody. I'm going to do my job. And that's it. Because nobody around here cares about me anyway. So that probably affects the way that Jim talks in the lunchroom, don't you think? Probably becomes real negative. Becomes real belligerent. When anybody has anything else good to say about the company, no, you, well, you just haven't been messed with them by like I have, man. They'll screw you in a second. You just better watch out. Nobody around here can be trusted. So you begin to think that. Do you think that's a spirit of somebody who's ever going to get a promotion? No. You see, that's what the enemy does. He makes sure that we have an experience that changes our expectation, that changes our behavior, and then... The enemy finds out what button in our life to push, and he makes sure it gets pushed over and over and over and over. This morning, real quickly, Creflo was preaching on poverty spirit, and the Holy Spirit said, that's a perfect example, Tracy. Real quickly, maybe you grew up in a house where you didn't have enough. Maybe you really were in lack. You, maybe you grew up in poverty. And so a belief came in you, man, if I ever get anything, I'm going to take care of myself and I'm going to make sure that I always have a, some money and savings. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure that I take care of myself because I'm not going to ever be homeless again. I'm not ever going to be like my mom and daddy were. I'm not ever going to be like that. And so we begin to have an expectation. And so our expectation is, I will never, I will never. So then the behavior is, you become a hoarder. You begin to hoard things. And when pastor, you're in this church or some other church, begins to talk to you, especially like Creflo, and begins to talk to you about sowing seed, about tithing and beginning to sow financial seed, you think, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Uh-uh, because way back here, something happened to me, and that's never going to happen to me again. I'm never going to be homeless. So you begin to not give. You don't sow. You don't tithe, which in turn shuts the, the windows of heaven over your life. And then you continue to live in poverty and lack because you are now in a cycle of death. So, how do we break out of this cycle of death? The first point is that you have to identify the ungodly beliefs. For some people, this is going to be the most difficult part because, you're, as I said, you're not very introspective and you tend to shy, about, shy away from thinking about your past because you know it's going to be painful. Encounter 
is a scary place to you. Some of you either haven't ever gone to encounter, or if you have, you don't really see a lot of results from it because you're unwilling to dig and to look in the areas of your life that need to be healed. So, the question to you this morning by me is, do you really want to get off this cycle? Do you want to stop? I sure did. When it was unveiled to me, I thought, I want off of that thing. Isaiah 58, 9, powerful verse. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away from your midst the yokes of oppression, wherever you find them, you have to look for them. You have to look for them so that you can be set free from them. Dr. Carolyn Leaf also says this when she's talking about the brain. That, you, it, is, that it is absolutely impossible to, to take this negative memory and to put a positive memory over it until the thorns on this one are dealt with. Now this is very important because this is where I messed up. I've been a spirit-filled Christian for 20 years. I have gone to more inner healing ministry than anybody should ever have to go to in one lifetime. Okay? So where has it been missed? It's been missed in that. It's been missed in that I was trying to speak things over this. The word of God. I was trying to apply the word of God over these lies. But I was never identifying the lie for what it really was. You see? You can confess, have a positive confession from now till Jesus comes, but if the whole time you're confessing, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, and the whole time the tape in your head is saying, you're going to be poor, you're going to be homeless, it's never going to work, it's never going to work, it's never going to work. You try, and you, and you really do, I have really tried to positively confess on top of that. But I never dealt with the fact that this is really a lie. Yeah. A lie that has to be taken care of. So that's why introspection is an absolute must if this is ever going to work for you. Second point, you have to repent. An ungodly belief, by definition, is unbelief. Now, if we're believers and we have the word of God and we have not believed it, then that would be called unbelief, which would be a sin, which we would need to repent from. Now, we all know how to repent around here because Pastor Baird has taught us well. If you're going this way and you are, we get it clearly, if you are committing adultery, if you are getting drunk, if you're doing all these things and the Holy Spirit convicts you, then what do we do? We stop and we turn around and we go that way, which means we break off the relationship, we stop hanging out at the bars, whatever is necessary to change it. So if we are to repent from an ungodly belief, we have to stop. We have to realize that's not good. I need to stop doing that. And then you turn and go this way. All right, so number one is identify your ungodly beliefs. Number two, repent. Number three, believe what God says. In order to break this cycle and turn your life around, you must choose by faith to believe God and his word. John 8, 31 and 32. When Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word. Now, let me tell you what abiding is not. Abiding is not showing up on a Sunday morning having never write, read your Bible all week. And when pastor preaches and the verses come up there, you go, see, now I was in the word this week. See, right there. 
See, I read, I read my Bible this week right there. <laughs> okay. What, what does abide mean? If someone is abiding with you, Miss Louise, at your house, it means they are living with you. Right. They are staying in your house. So if we are abiding in the word of God, that means we're in it. We're in it on a regular basis. That when we get up and have our coffee in the morning, as much as you can't get through a day without coffee, you can't get through the day without the word of God. That's what's going to change us. So we abide in the word and then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Not then you shall hear the truth. You should hear the truth by Pastor Bear on a Sunday morning and it'll set you free. No, you've got to know the truth. How many in this, in this sanctuary, I know we have several, who work in a bank? Raise your hand. Oh, well, Judith's not in here. <laughs> okay, Judith and Melissa and myself. I used to work in the, at First Federal. When you are a bank teller and they are teaching you how to uh, identify counterfeit money, pastor's given this illustration before, you don't keep looking at a bunch of counterfeit money. You look at a real $100 bill and you know everything about it. So that when somebody tries to pass you a counterfeit bill, you identify it. Well, you see, if we're abiding in the word, then we will know when a lie comes into our mind. You see, you see, it doesn't happen if you speed read your Bible. Okay, God is not impressed and the, and the enemy isn't either when you speed read five chapters a day. Okay, then you don't get any extra points for that. Okay, so, but if you're abiding in it. And if you're stopping and you're saying, what does that mean? If I abide in my word, what does that look like? And then you get it. When a lie comes to you, you're going to identify it. All right. The sad truth is that all these years of ministry, I could believe for each one of you. I could look at Alan and mean it with everything I've got. Alan, God has awesome plans for you, man. He loves you. Don't you doubt it one bit. It is the truth. Never realizing that way down deep inside of me, I didn't believe that for myself. Now, if you would have asked me, do you believe God loves you? I would have said, yes. Yes, absolutely. Because you know what? That's the pastor's wife answer. That's the good Christian girl's answer. Of course I believe God loves me. But when I began to really look and think, you know how I got the revelation of this? The song, I am a friend of God. When we're in Pensacola, somebody was playing that. I am a friend of God. What does it say? Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? Is it true that you are thinking of me, how you love me? It's amazing. Uh-uh. I didn't think God ever thought of me. You know the song? Unforgettable, that's what you are. I would hear that song. And the enemy would say to me, well, that's not you, because you're definitely forgettable. Somewhere in my life, and I don't know where, and I am in, not, in no way blaming my parents, because my parents did the best that they could. Somewhere I was forgotten. I don't 
know, if I was forgotten at the grocery store. I mean, I know some of us have done that before, <laughs> you know. If forgotten or a birthday was forgotten. But somewhere in my little mind, I was forgotten. And I thought that that's always the way it would be. Let me tell you how this plays out. Because you think, well, how does an ungodly belief really play out in their life? How does that really affect you? It affects you like this. My poor family have had to endure this. Now, y'all are going to laugh when you hear this story. But it's really, really sad. All right. About two months before my birthday which is in August, I'll start doing this. Now, I'm not, do- not going to do this this year, okay, because I have gotten that ungodly belief taken care of. But start like this, especially when my kids were little. Boys, you know what, you know what August the 9th is? Uh-uh, Mommy, what? It's Mommy's birthday. It's Mommy's birthday. Make sure you tell Daddy, okay? Okay, Mommy. All right, so you do that. Then about a month before my birthday, we're going through a store. Kaylin, look at that purse. Oh, that is cute. Oh, that would be a great birthday present. Okay, and she's like wandering. Kaylin, 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 you see that right here? But see this purse? See this? This will be really, really cute. Okay, remember, remember that. Okay, she's like, okay, mom. You're like, Ugh. you know, you get mad at them if they're like not paying attention. Okay, then about two weeks before your birthday, you're in the middle of Target. Oh, let's go over and look at the cards. Why? What do we need a card for? Excuse me. Who has a birthday coming up? Oh, yeah, okay, you okay. And then, now, I like some serious cards. Y'all might remember, I like serious cards because serious cards really tell me that you really love me and that you're really thinking, don't give me these goofy cards because that doesn't really mean anything to me, okay? And then, about two or three days before the event, now, remember there's dinner. So anyway, I thought about my dinner. Where are we going to go for dinner for my birthday? And they're like, huh? Dinner? Dinner. Have you thought about where we're going for dinner? Please don't forget that it's my birthday and I like to go out for dinner. Okay? So you do all that. So on my birthday, I get the, the purse I picked out. I get the card I virtually picked out. I go to the restaurant. I told them where we were going to go. And then, and they're thinking, bless God, we did everything she wanted. And then I still go to bed at night, laying in bed, thinking, nobody loves me. I had to tell them everything. (laughs) Never having given them a chance to ever do it right. Because... You're so afraid you're going to be forgotten. Now, I know that's a funny story, but when that happens over and over and over, it becomes very frustrating. And if that can happen over that, imagine what it looks like in all these other scenarios we've talked about. But thank the Lord that I have been covered and set free from that, and so that won't be... Uh, the issue this year, and I am off that death cycle. All right. Now, let's go back and take, take a look at that, guys, again. Because, listen, the good news is that once you decide that you're going to step off this thing, then this is going to become the life cycle. Because you're going to have a godly belief over here. And no matter what happens, you're going to say, my God shall supply all my needs. That if you, if you, get, if you got called into your boss's office this week and you got laid off, You wouldn't go into, oh, see, I knew it was going to happen. 
you would go into, you know what? This is going to be an awesome God, chance for God to show off in my life. And then you begin to expect, man, today is going to be the day I find the job. And if that doesn't happen today, it's because tomorrow is going to be the day I'm going to find the job. And you begin to expect it. And your behavior is when you're walking into a job, this is my job. I am looking good because this is my job. And you begin to put off the vibes of, you say people have vibes. They do have vibes. Biofeedback. Is vibes coming off of you of negative or positive expectation and then they come back on you. It's a scientific fact. So let's recap real quickly. First, we have to identify the ungodly belief. We have to repent. We have to believe what God says. And number four, here we go. You must do the work. Penny Tusi, my friend from Pittsburgh, looked at me and said, Tracy, your life can be so different, girl. But I'm telling you, it's going to be the battle of your life. Well, now, that's not a very seeker-sensitive statement right there. And you know what else it's not? It's not a very charismatic-sensitive statement either. Because we're not going to line you up down here this morning. I'm going to lay hands on you. You're going to be slain in the spirit. And when your head hits that floor, every ungodly belief is going to pop right out of your head. I wish it were that way because I would be in the line. But it's not like that. What do we have to do? First thing, we have to stop speaking negative things about yourself. Even if it's in a joke, and I'm telling that to me, even if you're joking around, no, stop saying negative things about yourself. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who eat of it, who love it, will eat its fruit. Second thing we have to do is stop thinking negative things about ourselves. If you, how does pastor teach us? If you have a thought, you have to fight it with What? The word. You don't sit there and play that thing over in your mind. You can't fight a thought with a thought. You have to fight it with the word. The hard truth is that most of us don't walk in victory because we're just simply lazy. We want somebody else to do the work for us. We want pastor to do it. We want our connect group leader. We want somebody. We want them to pray for us. We want them to look up the scriptures for us. And will you please type it out on a piece of paper for me, please, in nice font that I can read. And then I will just say it. This is the best one. Pastor, could you like just go away and have some time with the Lord and come back with a prophetic word for all 200 of us? And then line us up next week and just give us all a prophetic word. And that way we don't have to strive and we don't have to work. He'll just do it for us. Because after all, that's what we pay him for. No. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24. This, I call this my Christy Youngblood verse. Because she's the one that got this revelation. It says, strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your old, unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion. And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude, and put on a new nature, the regenerate self created in God's image, God-like in true righteousness and holiness. See, it even says God-like. That means it's a godly thought. It's a godly belief. But we have to put it on. So, I don't mean strip yourselves like take your clothes off. Because that only takes about that long to do that. How many of you ever stripped wallpaper? Oh, oh that is so terrible. It's time consuming. 
You don't know how many layers are underneath there. And you're not even sure what is underneath there, even if you get all the wallpaper off. And when I first heard this, and I was lying in bed that night in Pensacola, the enemy on one side was saying, who are you going to be when you get all this done in your life? And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, who are you going to be? See, who am I going to be? When you've been lied to all your life, I am, I'm telling you, I'm going to be 47 here pretty soon, but by the time I'm 48, y'all aren't even going to recognize me. And I'm hoping I'm not going to recognize you. I'm excited. But see, Pastor and I have made that mistake in wallpaper so many times because you know it's going to be a lot of hard work. And just like I said earlier, so what you do is you try to wallpaper it over it, and at first it looks good. You're like, yeah, see? See, we got by with that. And then pretty soon, it starts bleeding through. Kind of like in the youth room. <laughs> in the children's church room, Pastor Clay's stuff kind of bled through. We had to go back and repaint it again. Okay? So... That's what happens, and that's why I'm saying to you, for all of us spirit-filled, been in the Word, been confessing the Word of God all these years, and still look at our life and go, okay, but really we're messed up, but how do we say that? How do we, can, how do we let anybody know that? Because that's going to basically mean that we're saying that God's Word doesn't work. And we sure don't want to say that out loud, because that's going to give God a bad PR. So, no. God's Word does work. The problem is, we've got to get rid of the devil's work first. We got to take the time and the initiative and the and the uh, forethought and the and the and the and the determination to strip every lie and not just settle with one. Because I'm telling you, when I answered this little sheet that she gave me, I had about 14. Now I'm talking. This is very very specific, but I'm telling you that takes some time. So we're not going to give up. All right, I'm almost at the end here. So what's the problem? The problem is that we have ungodly beliefs. Go back, so what do we do? See, we start renewing your mind and building godly beliefs. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We renew our minds and build a godly belief system by replacing the ungodly belief system with daily confessions from God's word. So we've stripped it all off now, remember? We've identified them, we've repented, and now we're going to start putting godly beliefs on. We have to see, hear, and live our life now through biblical perspectives. Pastor came home the other night from men's meeting, and he was really excited, and he said, you guys had all been talking about getting a godly worldview. How do you get a godly worldview in politics? How do you get it in education? How do you get it in business? Well, all that's very important, and we do need to have a godly worldview. We send our daughter to a Christian school that has a godly worldview, and not every Christian school does have a godly worldview, and you need to know that. But we send our daughter to one that does. But as much as you try to put godly worldview, if we got kids, and we got men, and we've got women who are trying to live a godly worldview and all along have lies at the very center of their being. That's still not going to work. So, what we do is we need to write it down, replacing ungodly beliefs with godly beliefs. And this, 
I'm telling you, I have never been a person who loves to journal. Some of you people are just going to go, oh, this is great because I get to write in my book more. Okay. I am not a journaling type. So this is, I'm telling you, this is kicking my tail to do this. I'm telling you. But once again, Spirit of the Lord, how bad do you want to be set free? How bad do you want to be renewed in your mind? So what you have to do is you have to identify with the Holy Spirit's help. And I'm believing that that's happening even today. The ungodly beliefs, you write them down. Then, so let's just say, the little boy, I'm stupid. What would be the godly belief? Not the scripture necessarily, but the, uh, the godly belief would be, I'm smart. I can do whatever I need to do because God will help me. I right. I have wisdom. Then the scripture is, I have the mind of Christ. If scripture is about, if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask for it and God will give it to us without reproof. You write all those scriptures down. Now, Joyce Meyer talks about this. Not exactly, she doesn't call it an ungodly belief, but in her book, Me and My Big Mouth, which a lot of you are studying right now, I can't remember what chapter it is, somewhere around six or seven, I think, she's going to talk about this and how that the Lord began to tell her to stop saying negative things about herself. Stop saying she was fat, stop saying she was stupid, stop saying that she was mean, stop saying that people didn't like her, stop saying all that. So she stopped saying it, but then the Holy Spirit said, but you haven't started saying what I say about you. So... You, you write down the ungodly, then you write the godly, and then you write the scripture. And I'm really believing, and I'm just telling you, in my life already, it's only been seven weeks. Seven weeks since I went to Pensacola. And my life is changing. I'm really changing. I haven't got it all of him. I find stuff coming out of my mouth still, and I'll go, oh, oh. But as soon as I say it, I go, oh, that's it. Okay, that's ungodly right there. You know, usually it's things like, what I think I look like, oh, I look fat in this shirt, or, you know, it's things like that. Things that girls say. I don't know what guys say. But you guys, what, you know what you say. And when it comes out of your mouth, right then, just say, that's not godly. That's not what God says about me. And you stop. All right. How are you going to walk this out? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons... Are, are mighty, they're not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The first thing we have to do is we will have to continue to cast down arguments. You see, that's what this lie is. It's an argument against what God says. The enemy knows if you really believe what God said about you, you would be so powerful. So he tells you lies. So we're going to have to continue to cast those down. Number two, we must realize that Satan will try a new tactic. If today the Lord reveals to you six ungodly beliefs, and you write those down, don't be surprised if about Thursday he starts telling you something new that you've never even thought about yourself before. And you're like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now I'm... I mean, I, I, I never, let me tell you this, a, 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 an experience does not necessarily make an ungodly belief. Alan and I could have the exact same spirit, uh, experience, and in one of us, it would produce an ungodly belief, and then the other person, it would just, he'd just go about his way. I was fired one time when Kevin was in seminary. I worked for uh, six psychiatrists. I say they were my sick psychiatrists. But anyway... Um, because they were a bunch of messed up people. But I worked for them, and I was fired. 
And I tell you why I was fired. It was before the days of sexual harassment. And Dr. Moskowitz put a inappropriate picture on the bulletin board and put my name on it. And I called him on it. And I said, I am a godly woman, and I do not appreciate that, and I want it off the bulletin board. Well, after a year and a half of being there and having a perfect, uh, never being reprimanded or, or, or a perfect review in my, in my chart, suddenly within a week, my work wasn't just quite up to par, and I was released. Now, I walked out that day, and I never had an ungodly belief that, oh, I better watch out because now I'm going to get fired. Uh-uh. I knew that was a bunch of hooey. And they're just a bunch of losers, liars, and I'm going to go on to another job. But for somebody else, you may have been fired. And that may have an established a belief or an expectation in you that that's what you deserved and that you're going to continue to do that. So you understand? We have to realize that the enemy is going to try something new. He, he's getting upset even today that his lies are being uncovered. So don't be surprised by that. And then number three, you must realize that it's not a one-time battle. You cannot be lazy and renewed in your mind at the same time. That's why Joyce Meyer calls it the battlefield of the mind. It is a battlefield. It's not a playground. You will have to continue to speak forth the godly beliefs over and over. So much confirmation I've gotten on this this week. I was listening to Kenneth Copeland this week, and he and Creflo were talking. And he said, Creflo, I'm telling you, man, after you confess God's word, if you do it for years and years and years, one of these days, it's like life smacks you, and instead of you coming out and going, I knew that was going to happen, you come out with the word of God. And see, that's what will happen when we finally get it as indoctrinated in us, the godly beliefs, to be truth. Instead of the lie be truth. When life smacks us, because it will. Life isn't going to stop smacking you today because Tracy Baird preached. Okay? It might even pick up. Because now you're going to be tested on what you found out today. And will you believe the lies or will you say, "Uh uh-uh, that's a lie. I'm going to walk in truth, and my God shall supply all my needs. The steps of the righteous are ordered. And if this job I get released from, it's because God's going to direct my steps right over here to something better. And that's got to be what your belief system is. So, it's going to take time. You didn't form, that was point four, it's going to take time. You didn't form all your ungodly beliefs in one day. It will take consistency, repetition, and determination to renew your belief system. What's made the difference in me? I'm coming to the end. What made the difference in me? The difference was made when I saw six other women look at me with such an obvious knowledge that I had been lied to. I could not see it, but it was like a neon flashing sign to them. Now let me tell you something. When they began to speak truth over me, And what God said about me, it was extremely uncomfortable and overwhelming. I began to cry. I began to say, no, 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 please. The lie was so deep that the words that I had so longed to hear about what I looked like, about my skills, about my intelligence, all these things that I had so longed to hear when they were said sounded so wrong. 
That's how you know you've been lied to. Then later as that week progressed, as we would sit around the dinner table and they would talk about ministry and different things, I, I heard them talk about situations, about life in the ministry, about raising children, about uh, being pastor's wives and all these things. And I did not hear pain in their voices. I didn't hear negative expectations permeating from their stories like my did, like my stories did. And I realized they see life totally different than I see it. And what they want, what they have, is what I want. And I am going to find it. And I'm going to do everything within my power and the help of the Holy Spirit to get what they've got. So this morning, that's my story. I pray that the Holy Spirit has illuminated some things in your mind as he's shown you some things. He's, he's even beginning to reveal some lies to you that you've been lied to. You know, a couple, um, couple of weeks ago, I said to Pastor, and he mentioned this last week, that in prayer time, the Lord said to me, this is going to be the summer of miracles. And let me tell you, I can honestly say that this revelation of uncovering the lies of the enemy in my life has been as miraculous as if I were blind and now I could see. It's that life-changing. When I read my Bible now, I was telling my leadership team the other night, when I read my Bible now, it's like I go, uh-uh. That's, are you kidding me? That's been there all that time. And I didn't even see that. You know, I've read the Bible some of these, especially New Testament, I mean at least 60, 70 times through because I love the New Testament. Still working on getting through the Old Testament several times, but the New Testament. And I'm reading it and going, are you kidding me? It's like there's a light shining on the word and it's coming alive to me. When we sing worship songs on Sunday morning, this one that we're going to sing, I'm going to have the worship team. Y'all can go ahead and start coming up now. I'm going to have the worship team come. And that song that says, um, I believe you're my healer. I believe you're my portion. Do you understand that when you've been lied to and that you've been told somewhere, and I don't know who or when it happened, but when you believe that you're saved, okay, you know, Tracy, you're saved and you're going to go to heaven, and now, you know, God's got bigger fish to fry than you, and so his mind is now over here. And that he doesn't think about you. And that you're going to make it and you just keep trying harder. That when I hear that song, you're my portion. I deserve a portion of God. I'm deserving of that. I want us all to stand right now. As I said, I wish I could line you all up here. I could lay hands on you and every ungodly belief would come out. But this is, this is what I want us to do. This morning it's your choice. And this is the beginning of a renewal of your mind. Remember, it's not going to happen all in the next 30 seconds. But if you want to begin the steps 
of getting off that cycle of death and getting on to the cycle of life, I want you to come forward this morning. If you're saying, I'm tired of being lied to, and you're understanding that you have been lied to, Psalm 139:23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. How many of us have anxieties? Search me and know my anxieties. And see if there be any wicked way in me. What that's saying to me is, see if there be any ungodly belief in me. Lord, see. Please shine the light. Shine the light. And this is what I'm saying to the Lord after seven weeks. Lord, I thank you for that big old fat light that you started with that kind of shines a big light on the whole thing. I want him now to get that, that little pin light. And I want him to start moving stuff over inside. And looking to see if way down deep, way down deep, I have believed a lie that has affected how I see life. I'm just telling you, life is a new place for me. I am so excited. These next 40 years are going to be totally different for me. Totally different. Because God loves me. He thinks of me. I am not a mistake. No matter how you got here on this earth, if you were illegitimate, if your parents told you to your face, we didn't want you. And when you came along, you totally screwed up the whole plan. Some of us have been told stuff like that. And no matter what you were told, God says, I knew you in the womb. And I formed you. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I am pleased with you. I don't have to perform anymore. So I'm giving notice to all y'all. The performance is over. I will no longer perform. I will love you because Jesus loves me. Where did we get so messed up, y'all? The first song we sing is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But along the way, we begin to believe the lies. Father, I just pray this morning that as we end with singing this powerful song and making our confession before you, Lord, that you are our healer and that today we are beginning a renewal process. Lord, you told me we are beginning the renovations on your house, Tracy. This house, this temple right here, 46 years old, Tracy Maccabee Baird, is the renewal has started. He's seven weeks into it. And it may be a year process, but I am thankful that he started today. And Lord, I dig around, tear up the floor, tear out the walls, Lord. Get down to the studs, Lord, if you have to. Renew me. Renovate me from the inside out, Lord. Begin this in your people this morning, Lord. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. Oh, God. I thank you for little Kelly Hodges from Arab, Alabama, who came all that way to Pensacola just for me. I thank you, Lord, that you directed her steps just for me. Lord, reveal the lies by your Holy Spirit. May we identify, may we repent, 
May we stop speaking the lies and begin to speak the truth. We're going to do the work, Lord. No matter how hard, no matter how tough the battle, Lord, we're going to win this fight. And when this many people that are right here at this altar, this many people set free from the inside out can absolutely take a city. We've been saying, Lord, why aren't you bringing in the harvest? Because God is not going to multiply a bunch of screwed up people. But man, he's going to multiply a bunch of people who are whole from the inside out. You understand every fiber in you can be whole. Every thought you think about yourself from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed to not have one negative thought about yourself. I can't imagine that. But I am beginning to imagine it. It is going to change our world. It's going to change the colleges that you go to. Last week, the Lord had a word for you, Katie, that you were going to write down the words. And you came up to me and you said, did you even know that God had called you to, do, to write a magazine for young girls? I didn't know that, but the Lord knew that. And you tell, let me tell you something. When you are whole and you have no ungodly beliefs and you can begin to tell a whole generation from the very beginning, you don't believe the lies. No matter what boys say to you, no matter what teachers say to you, you don't have to believe that. And you tell them from the very get-go to believe that God loves them. And they are perfect in His sight. Our life will be different. This morning, I'm going to sing this song. And I'm going to step down here and I'm going to sing it with you. God, begin the process of renewal in our lives today. In Jesus' name. You hold my hand.